0: Well, before we jump into God's word this morning, um, let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for changes. Thank you, God, for things that are out of the ordinary. Thank you, God, for for how you guide and you direct. God, and you want to control, um, which is a good thing. And so, Lord, be just glorified this morning as we open your word, Lord, as we speak about your truth. uh, God, and as we come... To you, united in Christ, God, be glorified in what happens uh, for the rest of our time together this morning. Amen. So, I think it's important to just kind of cut to the chase this morning, and I have a question for you. So, the question is simply this. Do you believe in God? Whoa. (laughs) Tyler, they are awake. Okay. So, I mean, that's a serious question. It's really a serious question. Do you believe in God? Now, the same question might seem kind of strange because we're in church. (laughs) Isn't that kind of a weird question to ask in church? I mean, frankly, most of you said yes. But there's really no special nobility, frankly, in believing in God. Because most people do. And I was reminded of that this week when I ran across a Pew Research poll, and this was a very recent poll, uh, completed at the end of 2018, and the poll asked a sampling of thousands of people, and it was a scientific poll, and the question was asked of these people, as you might guess, uh, do you believe in God? And so how many do you suppose responded by percentage that said, yes, we believe in God? Ninety percent. of the people, and of course they extrapolate this, right, these polls, they extrapolate over the entirety of the United States because it was a huge, thousands of people that were were in this sampling, and so 90% said that they believed in God. Now that's really interesting to me because then there was a follow-up question, and the follow-up question for those of them that said that they believed in God was, do you believe in the God of the Bible? What do you suppose happened to the sampling then relative to the percentage that said that they agreed with believing in the God of the Bible? It dropped to 56%. Now, that's not surprising, really, is it? Now, it's not surprising that 56% of the people, again, extrapolating this over the entire United States, 56% of the people in this Pew Research poll, scientific poll, said that they believed in the God of the Bible. Now, that means that if you do the math, that there are 10% of the people that didn't believe in God. They were either agnostic or, or atheist. Now, I think that's really interesting because I don't know about you because I have been, well, I've been following Jesus for a long time, uh, 25 years almost, I guess. And, you know, I'm thinking back. I can't ever remember running across a real professing atheist I mean, seriously, I'm trying to think about whether or not I've had a conversation with a professing atheist, someone that says that they don't believe in God. It's pretty rare. Kind of like running across somebody today that might be believing that the world and the earth is still flat. (laughs) I mean, really? Have you had that experience? They're rare. So the scientific poll Breaks people into three groups. There's the 10% group, that's the agnostics and the atheists. There's the 34% group, that's the people that said that, yes, we believe in God little g a god or a higher power and then there's the 56 percent group which i suppose that many of you are in that says that they believe in the god of the bible now that's really interesting because this poll that i was reading comes right on the heel of reading an article in psychology today now you might ask why i would be reading an article out of psychology today because i'm weird and i like to read this kind of stuff (laughs) always nice to have somebody agree with you So, I'm reading this article by a Dr. David Ludden. I know he's a doctor because it says David Ludden PhD. Now, PhD typically means that you're a doctor of something other than medicine, but I've known it to mean, because I've known a couple of PhDs in my day, I've known it to mean uh, uh, PhD is an acronym for Piled Higher and Deeper. You maybe have heard that. Because, I mean, seriously, there are some really smart people out there, and I'm thinking about they've got a PhD, but But when I'm around them, I'm thinking that, you know, there's a big difference between a Ph.D. that's smart and a Ph.D. that just has it kind of piled higher and deeper. Right. And so anyway, he's a he's a he's a Ph.D., but he asked an entirely different question. Now, I've got these two documents and they came to me on the same day. I find these two documents on the same day, the Pew Research poll and the article in. Psychology Today from the Ph.D., Dr. Levin, and he asks a different question. He asked the question, why? He starts with why. Why do people believe in God? Now, see, I like that question. I think that's a good question. I think it's a good question for the church. Because he goes on to say this. For most people in the world, the answer seems obvious. The answer to that question, why do people believe in God? For most people in the world, the obvious answer is because it's so self-evident that God exists. From the point of view of the believer, the really puzzling question is how anybody could not believe. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? How could people not believe? Now, of course, you're kind of stuck here in this audience of churchgoers, and so you would probably agree with that, right? How could people not believe in God? Now, initially, I'm thinking that this guy has got a probably a pretty good objective view of what's believable and what isn't believable. And I think he's going to be objective. Certainly, I want to try to be objective. And so I am now I'm interested and I and I keep reading, but I keep reading until I come to this quote. And, and it's if there's the quote up there. And I learn a little something about Dr. Ludden, because he says there was once a time in the prehistory of our species when nobody believed in a God of any sort. Our evolutionary ancestors were all atheists, but somewhere along the the way, they found religion. So we're back to the original question. Why do people believe in God? Unquote. So there's our first clue. Our first clue. And did you see it there? Our first clue was this. There was once a time in the prehistory of our species when nobody believed in a God of any sort. Our evolutionary ancestors were all atheists. Well, That's a real clue. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where this guy is coming from, does it? Do you see it? But you see, it makes sense, of course, that our primate ancestors were atheists. Of course they were atheists. They were in trees hanging from their tails, and they weren't able to talk. So how in the world would they have the opportunity to believe in God? Of course there wasn't a God. But then he says somewhere along the way they found religion. So we're back to that original question. Why do people believe in God? Now bear with me for a minute here because I want you to get to the point where you see his conclusion because I think it's fascinating. He says, and I'm quoting, fast forward a dozen millennia. And here we are living in a technologically advanced society driven by science that tells us the world moves according to the laws of physics and not the whims of spirits and deities. (sighs) Further, he says people who tend to act, listen to this, people who tend to act according to reason rather than intuition are also less likely to believe in God. Ooh, Personalize these thoughts from, for a minute. Perhaps relatedly, he says, we also see a tendency of people who are of higher in intelligence and, and to hold agnostic or atheistic beliefs. So you see right away that he is making a Ph.D. piled higher and deeper point. I got nothing against Ph.D.s. I'm just saying. That when somebody tells me that people that tend to be of higher intelligence hold to be agnostic and atheistic in their viewpoints, it makes me uncomfortable a little bit. Then he says, in contrast, people who are high in what's commonly called emotional intelligence, that is the ability to easily discern the emotions and motives of others, also tend to be more religious. Of course, it's exactly this ability to read others' minds that led to the rise of religious belief in the first place hundreds of thousands of years ago on the Africa savannah. And finally, he says, here's his conclusion, because now I went from him being objective to me being confused. He says... As societies become affluent, people perceive less need for a benevolent God to keep watch over us. Organized religion may no longer be needed in such societies because it's still human nature to perceive a need for a God in the unpredictability of the world, even when there is none. Now, his conclusion, obviously, is that science and physics drive the world, right? You heard him say that. And the reason that people believe in God is that they are emotionally unintelligent. No, he says that so much so that their belief is based on a perceived need that doesn't even exist. You see, in Dr. Ludden's worldview, there is no need for God. And he obviously felt compelled to write this article in Psychology Today to tell us that. It's fascinating, but there's a few problems with this, as you might suspect. Yeah? So first, science and archaeology. Because I'm looking at this and I'm thinking about in our prehistoric ancestors. Do you see his worldview, where it comes from? See, he's talking about the evolutionary cycle as it relates to whether God even exists and why you believe you see science has been trying to prove up this theory of evolution i find this fascinating pretty much ever since charles darwin died back in the late 1800s so it's about 137 years or so of research and activity and science and study they've been trying to find this missing link that is going to tie the whole evolutionary theory into a into 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 a reality but they haven't found it yet and my guess is they're probably not going to But you see, I can only say that because I do believe in God, which, of course, makes me emotional and unintelligent. Do not say amen, Randy. (laughs) Now, there's a second problem, of course, with this conclusion, because Dr. Ludden's conclusions are not based on truth. That's a big problem. You see, because. The law of non-contradiction has to exist. So his evolutionary belief as to why people believe in God only because they're emotional and unintelligent cannot stand up against what you and I, I'm assuming you, and I believe. But you see, believe it or not, he believes it. So as I'm reading this article from a completely different worldview, a biblical worldview, I have to come to my own conclusions. And my conclusion is simply that the author, Dr. Ludden, the Ph.D., wasn't really interested in the question of why do people believe in God? That wasn't what he was interested in. He was much more interested in sharing with us his intellectual and reasoning prowess so as to make the point that there was no need for God. Now, remember, he's a 10 percenter in the Pew poll. He's a 10 percenter. So he believes that. And God bless him. I think it's fine that he believes that because he's redeemable. Amen. Now, provided you because it's still a good question, provided you believe in God, the God of the Bible, the God of the Bible that we believe is truth. Inerrant, inspired truth. You see, if you believe, then you also have a worldview, don't you? You have a worldview. Because only when you view your life through the lens of the Bible can you arrive at a worldview based on truth. And truth matters. Now, the Bible has a few things to say about this. And the Apostle Paul, he was a prolific writer, and this is—I love the Apostle Paul because you know God used him uh, in an about-face because uh, he was the one that was um, deciding that it was it was his mission to eliminate uh, the way—that's that's the church, that's the Christians, right? And, and God got a hold of him, um, and maybe you can relate to this—I don't know—but um, he wrote a, a letter to the church, um, the Colossian church and uh, listen to what he had to say because there's something important here about truth he said in colossians 2:24 2, 2, you can put it up if i don't like the screens there because i can't see them who did that <laughs> must have been a youth thing uh throw the youth under the bus But listen to what Colossians says, Colossians 2, starting in verse 2. It says that I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Wow. Wow. That's encouraging truth, but he doesn't stop there because in the same letter going uh, down a little bit farther into verse eight, he says, but don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. I love it for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in the human body. Wow, I can't think of a better example, biblically speaking, to deal with what Scripture says about Dr. Ludden, the Ph.D., and his high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. So I hope you're starting to see the tie-in here. Now, at least you think I'm throwing Dr. Ludden under the bus. I am not. He's probably a great guy. Smart, maybe witty. I think he would be fascinating to sit down and have lunch with, don't you? It would just be a fascinating conversation. Now, I'm not throwing Dr. Ludden under the bus. I'm throwing his conclusions under the bus. You see, I don't think he even asked the right question. And for that matter... I don't think the Pew Research poll asked the right question either. So it's not, do you believe in God or why do you believe in God? Because for us, I mean, seriously, if you're here this morning and you're in the 56% of Americans that say they believe in the God of the Bible, I would like to reframe the question for you because I think it has at least one too many words in it. I think we have to take out the word I-N. Because the real question, church, is do you believe God? Oh, it got awfully quiet in here. Are you awake? (laughs) All right. You might even see in the the bulletin a title of the message today. uh, By the way, these are challenging messages. Boy, when you don't do this every week, what a week it's been. (laughs) The title of the message is, believe it or not, Believe it or not. Belief, faith, trust, and action. So the real question is, reframed for this morning is, personalize it, church. Do you believe God? I like this question way better. Do you believe God? Because you see, it causes some real personal introspection, doesn't it? Because believing in God is easy. 90% of the people in this country, according to a scientific poll by the Pew Research Group, said, yeah, we believe in God. Big G? Little g? I'm sure you've heard this one before. I'm spiritual but not very religious. What in the world does that mean? It's the same question that is asked. Do you believe in God? Reframed, do you believe God? Because belief is closely aligned with faith, which is closely aligned with trust. And when it comes full circle, belief, what you believe, will affect all of your actions. All of them. It's a big question. Do you believe God? And I don't know that we're going to be able to answer the question here this morning. Frankly, only you can answer that question. Amen? You're the only one that can answer the question, do I believe God? And if you're thinking about it in the context of, well, listen, if I believe God, that's going to affect everything that I think and do and how I live and what I say and... Uh, it starts getting pretty personal pretty quick, doesn't it? So, I'd like you to keep that question in the forefront of your mind for the rest of the morning. Do you believe God? Actually, that's not true. I think I just lied. <laughs> Probably shouldn't do that in church. Um, I, actually, I'd like you to keep that question in the forefront of your mind for the rest of your life. Do you believe God? Do you believe them today? Because I think we've got to start with what, what does belief mean? So I had I only created a slide for belief right out of the Webster's Dictionary, and you can see it up there. So belief means a conviction of truth or doctrine or creed, a trust, faith, or confidence in someone or something. That's belief. And then to believe simply means to accept something as true. Now, there's a couple of ways that I think we can approach this belief thing, because some things have to be seen to be believed, right? Huh? You guys are awfully quiet today. I'm sure you're all praying for Pastor Richie because he's about to run. It's okay. You can say yes. Yes. Amen. Can I hear a hallelujah even? Okay. Okay. So you are awake. (laughs) So some things have to be seen to believe, and I think that's pretty much where everybody lives, right? But there's something else, and maybe you've had this experience in your walk, I don't know. Some things have to be believed to be seen. Woo! But let's take a look at the first one. Because you see, some things have to be seen to be believed and that just reminds me of a biblical story that most of, not, if not all of you, are very familiar with and that's our friend Thomas, right? Thomas the doubter, Thomas the unbeliever. We can check him out in John's Gospel, John chapter 20 starting in verse 24. It says this in the ESV. Those are the black Bibles in your seats, in your by the way. Mark, we use the ESV now. <laughs> I'm just telling you. Okay. He's an elder. What does he know? (laughs) But look at Thomas for a second. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. There is Thomas. He's he's just being honest. He's saying, Man, I gotta see it to believe it. But remember, the other disciples had already seen Jesus. Verse twenty six eight days later his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among what? The doors were locked. Jesus, that's a whole other story for another day. Anyway, Jesus came into the room, even though the doors were closed and locked. And, and Jesus said, peace be with you. Then immediately, what does he do? He goes to Thomas and he says, hey, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and, 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 and put out your hand and place it in my side. And then Jesus says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered one of the most profound answers For any of us in this room today, Thomas said when he saw, my Lord, my God. That's just not something that we can skip over. He saw it. Do you see his belief? My Lord and my God. But Jesus had an interesting response. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. Oh, I hope you feel blessed this morning for believing without having seen. I love Thomas. Why was it that he didn't believe? He did not believe his cohorts when they told him they had seen Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I am... Totally convinced that it was quite logical in Thomas's mind. You see, Jesus was in the grave, and Thomas's belief was just keeping him there. That was his reality. I mean, what if? I can only give you an example. Let's say that Pastor Ty. Pastor Tyler, let's say he's late to church. Well, you know that that would never happen, so this has to be a hypothetical, right? He's never been late to anything in his life. Pastor Ty is late to church. Nobody knows where he is. The next thing you know, right in the middle of the sermon, he comes banging through those big back doors right there, and he runs straight up the aisle, and he says... Hey, everybody, you're not going to believe this. Remember our brother, old John Doe, that died a couple of weeks ago. We had his memorial service. We buried him at the, at the Ojai Cemetery. Well, guess what? I just saw him. He's at Libby Park hanging out with his family. Now, some of you exactly right are going to say, Pastor Tyler. This dude just fell out of the cuckoo tree and hit every branch on the way down. Some of you are a little bit more compassionate. and that You already know that he's cuckoo. And so, you know, you would say, Ty, maybe you could just can sit down and relax. It's okay. It's okay. I'm guessing that everybody in this room would probably not be rushing over to Libby Park to see if cuckoo pastor Tyler is believable. Because when was the last time you heard of or saw somebody that was raised from the dead after you had attended their memorial and their funeral and their burial? Tell me when the last time you experienced that was. I haven't. Now, I'm just guessing here, but I'm guessing that we would all think that that was so outlandish that Tyler wasn't believable. So do you get where Thomas is coming from? Let's go back to John 20, 27b, we call it, the second half of verse 22, 27. I like the way the NLT renders it. Because it's speaking of Thomas after he had touched Jesus. And Jesus said, don't be faithless any longer. Believe. There it is. Do you see it? Right there, the alignment of belief and faith. He still had the profound response, my Lord, my God. But I asked you initially, would you keep this question in your mind this morning? No, the rest of your life, do you believe God? Because you see, initially, he didn't. Thomas just didn't, even though Jesus himself in John 10:30 said, I and the Father am one. Jesus claimed to be God. But Thomas didn't believe his cohorts, the disciples, and he didn't even believe Jesus when he said that he was going to be crucified, buried, and raised. Do you believe God? Thomas had a big problem with belief and faith and trust. Amen? You? Oh, I love church, you see, because we get to sit in church and say, yeah, what's wrong with Thomas? What the heck is wrong with Thomas anyway? He didn't believe. The guy, he was with Jesus, Mark. He was hanging out with them, with his boys for like three years, and they said, we saw Jesus. Nope, not me. What's wrong with Thomas? So I always have a question. What's wrong with me? Maybe it's me. Or maybe it's you. Ooh-ooh. See, it gets more challenging when it's personal. But we're good. The third person is easy. Right, Eileen? She smiles. <laughs> you can't see it. Beautiful smile, by the way. So do you believe God? That's the question. Thomas had to make a choice. For whatever his reasons, he chose not to believe. He didn't believe his cohorts. He didn't believe Jesus. He was just not a person of belief. But can't you just hear Jesus saying, hey, Thomas, why don't you just investigate for a second? Here it is. Investigate the truth. And then based on the claim, based on what you observe, based on what you find out, Thomas, make a choice. Believe it or not. Duh. Based on that, he believed. But you see, that's the beginning of the change of this generic question as to whether or not you believe in God, or the radical life transforming question, do you believe God? It's too easy to ask the question, do you believe in God? Everybody does. C. S. Lewis said this. You never know how much you really believe until, in fact, I'm going to even quote it the right way. He said, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death to you. (sighs) Maybe you've had that experience before. Well, if I'm ever in that situation, I'm going to. And then all of a sudden, like five years later, you find yourself in that situation and you don't do what you said you would, right? Because you had a belief, but you didn't have the experience. Beliefs are choices. First, you choose your beliefs, and then your beliefs affect your choices. Do you hear that? First, you choose your beliefs, and then your beliefs affect your choices. Everybody in here is going to be making choices based on what you believe. Do you believe God? I ran across this one a long time ago, and I've used it a whole bunch because I like it, because it's convicting to me. I hope it's convicting to you, actually. If you want to find out how somebody feels, listen to their words. If you want to find out what they believe, watch what they do. Oh, that's an ouch. But Jesus had many encounters during his life on earth with all kinds of people, the Thomases of the world. And then there's people that were really difficult that he had to deal with, too. So he dealt with people like legalistic Pharisee know-it-alls. Jesus even had an encounter with Satan himself, right? The one that was trying to tempt him. The same Satan that tries to get in your head and mine. He had all kinds of experiences with people and they didn't all turn out the same way. One of the things I like about the supernatural living Word of God is that, man, it's just so real. I don't know about you. If you guys are in the Bible reading plan, you're not in the Bible reading plan. If you're not reading the Bible, why not? It's challenging, sometimes difficult. It's always good. It's good to teach us. It's good to correct us. We need to be rebuked from time to time, don't we? It's always honest and it's always relevant. It would be really good to get an amen to that. But in contrast to the story about Thomas, I think that we also have to take a look about, uh, about, the, about another fellow because there was another fellow that had an encounter with Jesus and he had an entirely different outcome. And so if we take a look in Matthew, um, this guy had an encounter and then he had an experience that Pastor Richie talked about last week that was pretty impactful because this guy had a big butt, a biblical butt. Matthew 19, starting in 16. Is it up there? Cool. I can't see. So check it out. Now behold, one came and said to him, good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? I love that question too. Here's a guy just honestly coming to Jesus seeking a question. He was interested in eternal life and who isn't. So he said to him, why do you call me good? This is kind of perplexing, actually. Why do you call me good? No one is good, but one, and that is God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness and then continuing in verse 19 he says honor your father and your mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself Well a young man said to him hey all of these I have kept from my youth but what do I still lack another good question Jesus said to him if you want to be perfect go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me But, but, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, here's a guy that came to Jesus, and he had the same opportunity that each one of us sitting in this room have had. Am I going to believe in God, or am I going to believe God? You see, because he's a seeker, he was interested in the question of eternal life. Important question. And Jesus just tells him to keep the commandments and gives him the short list. So we already see that he believed, at least in one sense, because he had been keeping those, hadn't he? But was there anything else he wanted to know besides keeping those commandments? Oh, yeah. Jesus said, sure, because you see, Jesus knew his heart. So he says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, now that word perfect is not the same perfect that you're thinking about perfect because nobody is perfect. But the original language word perfect here, translated into the English as perfect, means undivided loyalty and full-hearted obedience. So the real question is, Jesus gave him the truth. Your wealth and all your stuff is an obstacle, dude. It is in the way. Yeah, you've been keeping the commandments. Cool. But that's not what it's about, you see. Because all of these things that you've been doing, these legalistic, ritualistic things that you have been doing, you see, that doesn't matter. He says, get rid of all that stuff that you've got. In fact, sell it all. Give it to the poor. That's who really needs it. You don't need all that stuff. He says, as he looks in his garage full of all kinds of stuff. He says, get rid of that stuff. And then come and follow me. You can almost hear the rich young ruler guy saying, how do I do that? And Jesus says perfectly, which means do it with undivided loyalty and full hearted obedience. And then Jesus says, then I promise you eternal life in the heavenlies, which will be far greater than anything that you got. All your stuff is like meaningless on a comparative basis to the same question that you just asked me about. What do I do for eternal life? Get rid of your stuff because that's an idol for you and come and follow me with an undivided loyalty and full-hearted obedience. But then we see his huge biblical butt. (laughs) There it is. He was probably wearing skinny jeans. I don't know. But... When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, you see, unlike Thomas, this man's belief in God didn't turn into a belief of faith and a trust and action. He simply didn't believe God about the promise of the kingdom of heaven. Now, we don't know the rest of this guy's story, do we? Scripture isn't clear. That torque you off sometimes. I would love to know what happened to this guy. He went away sad, but I'm wondering if he didn't, I wonder if that just didn't chew on him and chew on him and chew on him. And maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe we'll know when we get to heaven. But maybe later on he said, you know, that Jesus must have been right. Maybe he did get rid of his stuff, but we're not told. But what we are told is that his butt made him give up the very gift of salvation that he was asking jesus about you see it a totally different response from thomas but don't forget our phd friend dr ludden we can't forget him god love him now i don't know if he's got a bunch of great possessions in his garage Or a big 401k or whatever. I just don't know. But like the man here in Matthew's gospel, you know, who did have a lot of stuff. But what Dr. Ludden had, you see, was intellect and reason. Which in his worldview was enough not to have a need for God. Intellect, reason, and stuff. It's clear. Is there something wrong with intellect and reason? No. Is there something wrong with stuff? No. Is there something wrong with making an idol out of all of it so that you don't have a need for God? Yes. So we have three guys here. One of them investigated the truth. He wanted to know. Show me! He was the show me guy. So Jesus showed him. Which led to his undivided loyalty and full hearted (laughs) obedience to Christ. The next young man, the wealthy young man said, what do I got to do? Cool. I've been keeping the commandments. Oh, I got to get rid of my stuff. I like my stuff. Lamborghinis are fast. He had a completely divided heart. Do you believe God? See, this man chose his money over Jesus. And then, of course, finally, our Ph.D. in psychology, Dr. Ludden. He believed, too, he had a conviction and he made a choice to accept as truth that because he was in a place where there was no need for God, there was no God. Even though he himself said earlier that to a believer, God is self-evident. Oh, I'm wondering about how conflicted Dr. Ludden is. But I got to go back to the I got to go back go back to the slide, if you would, Garrett, and put it up there, because there's three groups here from this poll that was taken by the. Pew Research Group, the 10% group, that's the agnostics and the atheists. The 34% group, that's those that believe in 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 God, but not the God of the Bible. And of course, there's the 56% group, and those are the people that believe in the God of the Bible. So first, you got to just be honest this morning. Which group are you in? I mean, this is a real question. Which group are you in? We come to church, we dress up, we smell good, we look good, we say nice things to one another. But what I mean, really, the question is, what group are you in? Because If you're not in the 56% group and you're here this morning, maybe you're in the 34% group. And you know what? That's fine. You know what's totally fine to be in the 34% group? Because that's where most people are that are seeking truth. That's where the rich young guy was. He was in the 34% group. But I got a little bit of advice for you. If you're here today and you're in that particular group, don't hang there for too long because you're not going to find truth there. And if you're here today and you're in the 10% group, that would be rare. But if you're in the 10% group and you're just ambivalent, or maybe you're just playing in Dr. Ludden's camp, and up until now, you frankly just didn't give a rip. There's no need for God. You got it. If you're in that group, I've got some really good news for you. Did you realize that you can go from the 10% group to the 56% group like that? You don't even have to leave this building to go from the 10% group ambivalent about the things of God. Agnostic meaning eh. Atheistic meaning oof, To wholehearted, undivided obedience to Christ. Just like that. It's about belief. You just simply have to make that choice. The Bible declares that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. In fact, Romans 10, 9 simply says this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a heart issue. God just wants your heart. Do you believe him? That's all he wants. He doesn't even want your stuff. He just wants your heart. That's the craziest darn thing. But no matter what group you're in, I think we got to cut to the chase again. Because the question this morning is not do you believe in God, right? Because believing in God can evidence itself in something just as simple as an intellectual ascent to believing in God because that's where most people are. But God's calling us meaning you, I always like to be on this side because I can say you, (laughs) but I would be totally dishonest if I didn't include me. See, because God's not calling you, me, us into believing in him. It's much more than that. He's calling us into a substantive change in what we believe and how that translates into action. How you live your life in Christ. Amen? Amen. God's calling you to believe Him. He's calling you into transformation. You see, this is a good thing, guys. (laughs) It's just a good thing. Sometimes I think the church just needs a whack, a reality check. We just need a reality check. So if your reality, which includes what? Your feelings? It includes your feelings, your emotions, your experiences, your life circumstances, and even how you've rationalized some of the decisions that you've made, your life choices. See, when these realities in your life come into conflict with the revealed will of God for your life, which starts with what I believe is the important question, do you believe God? You see, his revealed will is to have a faith-filled belief. That's a mouthful. A faith-filled belief that leads to undivided loyalty, full-hearted obedience, resulting in a radical, ongoing, growing life transformation That trumps anything that you or I could offer up. So do you believe that? One head is bobbing. I believe that. Do you believe that? Now, I don't know where you are this morning in the spectrum of believing God, but maybe this will help because, I, you know, you got to have I learned this from Pastor Richie, you know, uh, and I got to share, you know, I mean, he's my pastor, too, <laughs> which is really kind of cool. And this is a man that has really grown in in the last 10 years, um, and he is real and relevant and transparent, and he's a good communicator. And, uh, and he uh, and I love listening to his his messages. Uh, he's a he's a he's a he's a man of God. Um, I mean, he believes this. He has that whole parental thing. I mean, he treats me like I'm, a you know, <laughs> he's like dad, um, which is kind of fun because a young guy that's your dad, that's weird. But anyway, uh, I, I, you know, he's my pastor, and I love the fact that he is – He he can just speak these biblical truths and he pours himself in and he is so concerned about the body of believers that God has called into this particular church where where he is responsible, really, for the spiritual well-being of all of us. And he takes that so seriously. And I just love every bit of the way he his heart is just poured into that. But I also love the fact that he and I don't know how to do this. But he, he, he uses, um, uh, have you ever noticed how he, remember the thing he was doing and he was pouring, you know, water in, remember you, and so he has that thing, you know, and then he has, he throws footballs and he, and he, he uses all of these things, you know, to make his point. And the crazy thing is, you would think that I would be at least, I mean, you know, I'm not the sharpest tack in the book, but you know, you would think that I would just read this and I would understand and I would get the point. But sometimes when he uses a football, I get the point more. I don't know, that's weird. So I don't have a football, but I'm trying to think about how is it that I'm going to try to get you to understand because what's on my heart, what God revealed to me this week about where I am with Jesus. Do I believe Jesus? The whole week I'm working on a message and God is going, boom, you can't just get up there and say this. Where are you at, dude? That's, you know, I went from thank you, Lord, to oh, my gosh. I got to tell you, it wasn't that easy a week. It just it just wasn't. Now, I don't I don't I'm not on this side of this thing, you know, but very rarely. Uh, And uh, let let me tell you um, uh, here. I don't know if I want to do this again. You know, God had his way with me this week. Because he asked me the question, where am I with you? Do you believe? Don't be getting up there and talking to people about do you believe God. Unless you're ready to go all in. So I thought maybe because I don't know where you are on the spectrum and neither do you know where I am on the spectrum of believing God. (laughs) That's pretty cool. I don't even know if you're saved. <laughs> and you don't know if I am either. <laughs> but do you believe Jesus? So the only way I can think about this is I was thinking about it in terms of having a car trip. You ever been on a car camping trip? You go and camping, you're taking your car, not your RV, your car. And you got to throw all your stuff in there, right? So you got your tent and you got your sleeping bags and you got your food and you got your camp stove and you got chairs and you got the dog and you got, you know, all the stuff. And if you're thinking about your life as a journey with Jesus, in terms of, do you believe Jesus? Because now we got to get it real personal. And it's the only analogy that I could come up with that hit me that made sense to me. Because I'm not a car camper, but I'm a backpacker. <laughs> I love backpacking, you know that. So I'm thinking about, okay, so I'm going to load up the car, and where am I with Jesus? Or better yet, where is he with me? This is my choice. So I put all my stuff in the car, and I'm going to go on this journey. And it's a journey with Jesus, right? That's your life. And my life. What is my life? It's a journey with Jesus. Oh, and good Lord, it is a journey. Amen. So I got my car all loaded up and I know that it's going to be smooth sailing for some of it and bumpy roads on part of it. And so here I am. I'm loaded up in my car and I got to take Jesus along with me because I'm on this. I'm on this journey with Jesus. Right. And so what do I do? I put him in the trunk. Seriously, man, is that where you're at? You put Jesus in the trunk right next to the spare tire and the toolbox. And if the road gets bumpy enough or you get a flat tire, you call on him. Is that where we put him? Or maybe, maybe you've come far enough along in this journey with Jesus because you're starting to believe him. Maybe even you want to believe him. So you put a nice comfortable spot in the back seat for him. You know, he can roll down the window comfortable back there pillow his arm on his pillow and and you put him back there because you know you need to have him in the car with you you need to have him on the journey with you because you know you want to believe him but you you know but you got this because you put the plan together you know where you're going you know where you're going to camp you know how much gas it's going to take you got a budget for the trip and you know what he's right there if you need him at least he's not in the trunk Or perhaps you're pretty convicted about this need for Jesus in your life and you need to have him along in the journey. So you decide that what you're going to do is you're going to put him up front. He's going to ride shotgun. (laughs) Got Jesus in the car. There he is. Because, hey. Hey. You yeah, know, you've moved along. I mean, you're f- much farther along than Dr. Ludden, who doesn't have any need for Jesus in his life. And you're just trying to figure out, do I believe Jesus? And so what you're doing is you're putting him in the front seat. He's riding shotgun. And you're going on this journey with him. And everything is good because he's right there. And you might even have to ask him for advice because you don't want to get lost. And so it's pretty good. He'll give you some good advice. And you know that. But, but you know, you still got this. See, the fact is is that you got Jesus on this journey riding shotgun and you're the one that has the bumper sticker in your window that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. But let's get real for a second here. Jesus does not want to be our co-pilot. I'm not saying that if you find Jesus in your trunk or if you find Jesus on your road journey with him in the backseat or even sitting shotgun. I'm not saying that you're not a believer, that you're not a Christian, that you're not spiritual. I'm not saying any of those things. That's not even the issue. What I'm talking about here is what it means to believe God. What I'm talking about here is not believing in him. What I'm talking about here is, have you made the choice to believe Jesus with a faith filled belief? Because you see, he doesn't want the trunk, the back the he doesn't even want to ride shotgun. He wants to drive. And see, the only way I could do this and figure it out from an, from an, and make the analogy work just so I understood it. And, of course, now you're, you don't have any choice because I have to understand it. And the only way I can understand it is, is to understand it in the way I can so I can try to communicate it to you. So, so, so here's the story, right? So Jesus wants to drive, right? Why does he want to drive? Because that's what it looks like when you make the transition from believing in to believing. What it looks like is he's driving. You got to give him control. He's got to take the car. He's going to control the plan. He's going to control your passions. He's going. Jesus wants to control all of it. So we think of that as Bad. We think of Jesus as a control freak. No, he's not a control freak. He's a love freak. (laughs) Jesus loves us so much that he doesn't want us to take the wrong path. He wants to smooth out the bumpy roads. He wants us to just believe him. He wants us to believe him. So when you choose to let Jesus drive, you will be transformed radically, I promise. The question is, will you let him drive? Because you're going to find yourself transitioning from saying things like Jesus is in my life if you're in the group that is the 34 percenters to what Jesus wants is to drive so that you'll say things like Jesus is my life. See the difference? It's radical. i conclude with this. Because here's another truth. Believing Jesus matters. In this life. And the one to come. Because believe it or not. Jesus and the father are one. Because believe it or not, Jesus is God. Doubting and believing Thomas, when he made the choice to just believe, not in, but to believe, he profoundly cried out, My Lord and my God. You see it? Thomas came to that place of believing faith that at the very moment. That he said, my Lord and my God. He knew that Jesus was the way. He knew he was the truth. He knew he was the life. He knew that Jesus came to set him free. He knew that Jesus came to give him life abundantly. You see, he believed. Not in. He believed Jesus And so for Thomas, he believed that in Jesus, you see, he had a changed life. And for the first time, Thomas had a purposeful life, a redeemed life, abundant life, and eternal life. So the question on the table this morning is still, do you believe Jesus, because the truth matters. And believe it or not, believe it or not, so does the question, do you believe Jesus with an all-in, faith-filled belief? Because perhaps on your journey, your personal journey, with Jesus. Perhaps this morning, for you, maybe it's just simple. Maybe in believing, it's just time to hand Him the keys. Amen? Think about that. Maybe it's time to hand Jesus the keys of your life simply by believing him let's pray god god we're sitting in this place today we call church and lord As we sit here, we recognize that we are your children. And, oh God, we want to believe. And at the same time, we need help with our belief. So I'm asking you right now, God, for myself and for each one of us here, (laughs) will you help us with our unbelief? Would you impress upon us, God, today, in this moment, in this place, for such a time as this, God, will you impress upon us that taking a step of faith-filled belief is the most incredible, life-transforming, beautiful experience we could ever have and that you want that for us? God, would you help us to understand that you are so for us if we would just remove the obstacles of the stuff that's in our life? (laughs) Oh, God, forgive us, which I know you do. And Lord, lead us into that place with you that only comes from believing a faith-filled, wholehearted devotion of obedience to you because you want to drive. Help us day by day, God, to hand the keys of our life Over to you, so that we would be the co pilot. And Lord, you would be the pilot of our lives. Thank you, God, that only you, in the power of your Spirit in us, could do that. We cannot do it on our own. Thank you that that's your promise for us. We want to be in this place today. We want to leave this place today, God, as believers. We want to believe you so that our life is transformed and that we, Lord, would one day, would one day stand before you and hear those beautiful words. Ah, well done. Well done in believing. In Jesus' name.